Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. With lockdown limitations continually adjusting and the summer now looking us beautifully in the eye, we continue with regular discussions about our respective horticultural worlds. Putting the pandemic's grip on us aside, we sincerely hope that you found enough moments to quietly contemplate, distract yourself, gaze in wonder and generally pour positive and fruitful energy into this most glorious and rewarding of hobbies, which, for Saul and myself, we are lucky enough to also call our profession. Restrictions are still with us, experiences are still unprecedented, but Lucy and I hope that by providing you with a continued shortened version of this podcast every few days, you can easily fit a small dose of horticultural musings into your routine. We will, of course, still bring you longer bonus episodes too, when we chat to inspirational peers on more in-depth gardening topics. So fire up the kettle, get comfortable in your favourite chair and join us now for a 20-minute escape into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener. Hello, Saul. What a a, a lovely uh, day we've both had. We've just been talking about what we've been getting up to today. You've been at the garden at Stolen's. I've been writing, my favourite thing, with, apart from gardening. And um, all is nice in the world, isn't it? It's been a lovely day. You know, uh, we had a bit of wind last night. The Storm Ellen came through and then it sort of cleared away all that sort of humidity and rain. And, you know, and it, it turned out to be quite a lovely day. I know we've got a, quite a lot of wind yeah. coming tomorrow, which I'm a bit worried about because I think that's going to be even stronger than last night. But... Yes. Yeah, you know, me too. Me too. Enjoy enjoy the weather while we can. That's what I say. Make hay while the sun shines. Well, do you know what I did after tea? I had a little lie in our hammock. We've got our hammock Ooh. back. Because my Ian's mother is very dab hand with the uh, the sewing machine and we mended, she's mended it for us. And so I did have a little test out tonight and I can confirm it's very comfortable. Was that in the green? Did you have that in the greenhouse at one point, or am I imagining? No, it? we talked. We talked about it, uh, and it's we we could do, but at the moment it's 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 between two cherry tea trees at the bottom of the garden, right. and um, it's quite delicious. So yeah, do you know, anyhow, there you go. That's that. Nick wants a hammock in our back garden, but um, it's too many bananas. Too many bananas in the way <laughs> for a hammock. That's what I tell her anyway. One day, one day she'll get one. So you sent me a WhatsApp today that confirmed that you are one of the biggest plant nerds that I know. We're (laughs) we're all plant nerds. And this was this was about colocasia. So I was going, Oh, I'm getting I'm getting her in the exotics groove. That's why I thought you'd like it. Yeah, yeah. And it was about a certain chemical substance within Colocasia. Do you want to explain all? Yes. There's. Um, I, I'm. I write for Amateur Gardening Magazine every week, and in that uh, magazine, I write a section called "Why Not Try." And every week in there, I write about something that's slightly unusual and quirky. And this week, I thought I'd talk about taro, which is the Colocasia. Now, there's there's various species of Colocasia, isn't there? And um, there is. Yeah. So there's the 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 species of Colocasia that's for taro. Colocasia esculenta. That's the one. Thank you very much. That contains calcium oxalate, which, if you eat the leaves or specifically the 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 tubers when uh, they're raw, you get this very strange sensation of like pins and needles in your tongue. And it's the calcium oxalate crystals, which actually um, cause pain in your tongue. So I was writing, make it, saying, please don't ever eat this raw. Make sure you eat it once it's cooked. And uh, and I was, I thought I'd, I'd 
wow you with my with my knowledge because I know you're trying to get me into growing exotics as much as I possibly can and I'm very happy to you know I won't I don't need to be persuaded I love them in the first place so you're gonna you're gonna have, be leaning on an open door with me anyhow so but I thought yeah you're gonna understand that I am immersing myself in the world of exotics for the benefit of the amateur gardening readers but also you know just just to, I, I like to keep you on side and make sure that I you know I'm I'm in your, your Christmas card list and things like that and I thought that might might do the job. Hey I grow six varieties of tomato so I think you can grow at least one variety of colocasia uh, occasionally. Thank you very much. And, and I tell you what um, <laughs> it's not the only uh, tropical fruit to contain calcium oxalate the the colocasia it's also um found in monstra deliciosa the fruit uh, oh, which yes. is which is delicious but it does also contain uh, calcium oxalate so you've got to be careful with that as well when yeah. you eat it you don't eat too much have you, it has gives your, you quite an upset has stomach has your swiss cheese plant ever produced the the fruits because i know they need to be very mature to do so don't they? and yours is an absolute stonker of a plant huge thing yeah it's it's big but it's never yeah not produced fruits yet i i I am I, I am keen to get it to do that. And I, and I think mine is definitely big enough. Um, I'm not sure what obviously sets it off into fruiting. But, um, you know, the leaves are a good, well, some of them are a good metre and a half in length now. So I can't see it getting any bigger leaf-wise. You know, the vegetation's at its maximum. So let's hope for some fruit. And then if I can get it to ripen, that would be delicious. Because it is delicious. I remember I was in the palm house at Kew. Uh, for a bit and um, that fruited in there the monstra mm. and I absolutely loved it and actually I, I know it contains this uh, calcium oxalate but it never it didn't seem to affect me so much um, so I well I was that's eating it in the tongues. that's what it is that's all that all those madras curries you've been having that sorted you well out so <laughs> yeah I have got <laughs> well, a bottomless stomach that's for certain <laughs> we were talking um, when we did our last podcast about Latin names and as you say you know monstera mm. deliciosa deliciosa because the fruit is delicious you so you know this is the, the all these little gems do help you re- learn the latin of plant names so maybe that can help have you are you now tempted to go and lick your colocasia well i lick all my plants just to make sure that they are uh well i know kosher yeah. <laughs> i don't know why i said that <laughs> please do not go licking all your plants some of them are quite poisonous <laughs> which we should add yeah. that as a subtitle yeah. to the podcast <laughs> These podcasts come with health warnings. (laughs) We need to talk about something serious or let's bring it back to something that's professional and reflects our 20 years each in the industry. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're quite keen on this podcast to promote horticulture as a career. I think that's actually one of the reasons we set up this podcast is we wanted to show you that being a head gardener, being a gardener or whatever um, part of horticulture you want to go into is a really good career and we love our jobs and we hope that comes over in the podcast and the RHS have just recently done a a bit of research and then launched an initiative about Mm. careers in horticulture um, in the last few weeks and we were looking at some of the statistics weren't we they were coming up with and thinking we were yeah how how interesting it was that the reason some people don't go into horticulture is a they don't know about it as a career it's not and and i think this is something that's come over with a, a lot of our interviews bonus interviews but also us talking is that definitely educationally it's not a very promoted uh, career it's not something no. you'll you'll get no, um, a lot of careers advice on at school but also mm. we were quite 
I, I don't know if we were shot. We, we we first thought, is this is this correct? But lots of people don't do careers in horticulture because they don't know enough about plants and gardens. And they were saying in a, a survey they did that 40% of people they, they surveyed didn't know anything about plants or gardens, which is is worrying and shocking at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, we, we we've known in the industry for a while now that there's been there's a, a skills gap, there's a skills shortage yeah. in the sector, and uh, um, it's it's a concern to us because, as you say, you and I we are we are so passionate about our careers, we so love this um, as a career path for somebody to take that I would I would I would hate to think that people are not taking up this route because they feel like um as you say they they feel inadequate because of the, for example as we mentioned the, you know the latin or um you know doing things wrong or whatever it is that makes them think that they haven't got the sufficient plant knowledge and there's there's loads of routes out there to gain experience and to um to to dabble in horticulture before you leap into it as a career and maybe that's is that what people are doing or maybe they're not? I know there's loads and loads of volunteers at, at the key gardens, like the RHS gardens did have pre-COVID, lots and lots of volunteers going there. And that would, again, be a fantastic foundation for giving you a really good skill set in horticulture if you were thinking about going into that as a as a career. So I think a lot of people come to it later in life, don't they? Um, yeah. I think it can be through many things. Uh, people whose careers are quite stressful and they take up gardening as a, as a stress relief thing or something to do with their spare time and then they suddenly really get into it and then they look into how to changing careers um i, I i'm not sure how many people come through your and my route these days straight from from school or university and think well that's my career that's what i want to do i think i think there's less and less people like us coming through as um life career gardeners um but it, it, I find it, I find it strange that there's this disconnect between um, people seeing it as a hobby and people seeing it as a profession, and that there's this distinct um, difference between people thinking, well, there isn't, there isn't a career path in horticulture. There isn't a way of progressing. It, it's not a serious job in some ways and I know that gets reflected in s certain parts of the media and certain parts of society thinking it's it's not a worthwhile job it's not a well-paid job it's for people who haven't got any uh, qualifications from school and things and I think mm. we really need to think about changing that perception because yeah as the environmental message gets out more and people are a bit more in sync with the, what we are doing, with it, especially within our urban environment. I know you live in the countryside a bit more, but I, I live on the edge of a city, uh, and Plymouth as a city is actually quite in the middle of countryside. So it's one of those cities that is actually surrounded by a lot of nature. But places like Manchester and London, you know, as they get more and more urbanised, people are getting more disconnected from their environment. And I think there are people who understand that and actually want to get away from the urbanisation. And that's especially so uh, for the past few months where people have been stuck in home or in the middle of cities and really need that release that you get from getting out into nature. And I think people are starting to think, well, actually, maybe what 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 jobs are more in sync with that environmental message? And I can't think of any more in sync job 
than horticulture. At the end of the day, you are yeah. dealing with nature itself. Yeah, exactly. As you say, the, the, there are two key movements that I think are something that as horticulturists, we should really um, encourage people to grab onto. And I think that is that horticulture helps your, your mental health and your mental well-being and um it's i i know i we've both said we've, we've had lovely days today doing our respective roles mm. and um it's it's fantastic for clearing your mind for for having time to think for having a bit of solitude but it, it's in that regards it's it, that's very very well known and and as you say the environmental aspect of horticulture the conservation we talked to Anne Swithenbank about rewilding you know this the 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 uh understanding things such as pollution and being able to do something in the industry to change that so plastic pollution uh more peat-free compost use uh, all, all those things are um elements that if you get into a career in horticulture you can have a really direct effect upon yourself and i can't see how that can't be an incentive for people to want to choose this as a career we, we have as you say we have touched time and time again on when you and i um going back a, a, a little while, were making our career choices and how horticulture was not pushed at all as a career. Mm. I, my friends ridiculed me for wanting to be in horticulture and I, I, I thank goodness I ignored them. And I, 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 do, I don't think so much today that gardeners are portrayed as the, as you say, the job you do if you can't do anything else, if you haven't got qualifications, you become a gardener. That, that to me, I, I still, I do think now that that is something that was um, portrayed maybe more in the, the seventies and the eighties on the TV. I think that now we are at last recognising that within horticulture there are some fantastic roles that you can, you can take. As you say, you've got you've got garden designers and landscapers. You've got the scientists, the botanists, the researchers, the hands-on gardeners, the head gardeners, the the media um, route into horticulture, the editors, the writers, the bloggers. There's there's so much there. There's a wealth a wealth of um, skills and roles that you could choose to pursue. Regard, you know, just just depending on what really floats your boat. Yeah, and um, I'm just I'm just I've got the press release in front of me, which is really interesting, uh, and they're saying that mm. one in four people would consider a career if they thought they were going to either help the environment or it was going to be a boost yeah. to mental well-being. And I've got to say that it was never something mm. that I must say twenty years ago. Uh, enticed me into horticulture. So it's interesting how the um, the pull factors have now changed slightly um 20 years on from when we started to actually focusing yeah. more on these these elements of life which i think are becoming more more important to, to, to people yeah i think they are and as i say things such as mental health and the environment it's becoming more mainstream and i mm. i really do hope that that is uh that injects a lot of interest into horticulture as a way to tap into that as a as a career um as you say we, we're all wanting to conserve and protect our environment and i think as a society now we have a, a much greater understanding of our potential impact on that and what we can do to to pull back and try to steer our our um effect on on the environment and, and pollution and what we're doing there so so yeah honestly if anyone 
as I say, we, we do have said this before, but if anyone's listening and, and toying with the idea of going into a career of horticulture, please speak to people like Saul and myself. Uh, look at the RHS website where you've got all these videos. Of, there's, there's 60, isn't there, I think, of all the different career paths you could take in horticulture. Yeah, it's... it's um... It's 60 videos from, they're saying, from ethnobotanists, floral designers, plant collectors and gardeners. The one thing that I do recognise from these videos is how the breadth of our sector, the the many different jobs. So don't feel like you have to become head gardeners like me or Lucy. Uh, You could become, there are almost anything. There's science, there's creativity, there's art, there's all sorts of different routes into horticulture and different jobs. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. The RHS have got a really fantastic resource with those videos. You can find it at rhs.org.uk slash careers in horticulture. And like you say, it's 60 films. That's That must take them up some bandwidth. Um, but showing over 45 different jobs that's amazing mm. really I, I i don't think we've ever really done this there used to be i, I remember uh, back when i was studying there used to be a, a very small initiative called the grow initiative which brought together a few of the leading industry bodies and the charities to try and promote horticulture back um when i was starting and i think that was generally try aimed at the education end so um colleges and university leavers but it looks like now they're trying to promote horticulture in a bit of a wider sphere of society like i say trying to attract people from all sorts of other sectors who are maybe i don't know disillusioned with their jobs or they just want to change or trying to bring people who have quite high-end skills into horticulture itself and i think that can only benefit the um, the career of horticulture by making it a bit more a bit more legitimate making it sound like if you've got the skills if you've got a degree if you've got um, high-end management experience or something like that there are jobs in horticulture that you can do that will suit those those skills I think I think it's a good I think it's a good thing I'm really hoping this works because like I said there's been initiatives before and, and they've sort of had very mixed degrees of success of trying to attract people yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking at the, the 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 videos and just the range of jobs available I so wish that when I was my 15 16 year old self making my career choices that I had somebody present that to me and show me what a diverse and wide and fascinating world horticulture can be because it as I say literally that is so the polar opposite to what my career advice was back in back in those days 30 odd years ago so um I I do think it's a fantastic initiative and I it makes me when I look at it feel very proud that I'm in this industry that I absolutely love and yeah as I say let's let's really hope that we we can encourage more people into this sector and they can enjoy it as much as you and I can. So that concludes today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening and would love any feedback or reviews you feel compelled to give us via your preferred podcast provider or social media platform. Life in the garden and out of it continually evolves for all of us. There is now reference to a new kind of normal and we are excited to hope that this will bring opportunities to visit gardens, friends and colleagues old and new so we can gradually adjust from virtual to actual worlds. Specialist nurseries, gardening charities, small businesses and self-employed individuals will still rely on us for financial support and encouragement over the coming weeks and months. 
We hope everyone in this profession is digging deep and finding ways to flourish. We are continually thinking of you all. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye.